With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the inaugural podcast of The Lovecraft Geek. And uh, that's me, as you probably guessed, Robert M. Price, also known as the Hierophant of the Horde and all that stuff. Uh, You may have seen me or heard me do uh, Cthulhu Prayer Breakfast on either coast. Uh, You may have read Crypt of Cthulhu in the old days, about 30 years ago. You'll have the chance to read the whole darn thing pretty soon, uh, collected into several hardcover volumes by the great Lance Thingmaker, who has done absolutely superb editions of uh, the fantasy fan and Marvel tales. I'm very honored that he's going to give Crypt the same treatment. And uh, I guess you might possibly know me from the Chaosium Cycle Horror series, which is being renewed even as we speak. It shouldn't be too long before you finally get to see the Yig Cycle and the Yog Sathoth Cycle, and then there are others in the works. Uh, It's possible you might have read some of my mythos fiction. I just finished uh, this afternoon writing a story for an anthology called World War Cthulhu, mine being set in the Trojan War and uh, called Sea Nymph's Son. Uh, Should be fun. So all kinds of Cthulhuvian things are going on, uh, not least of which is... This podcast associated with the ever-popular Lovecraft e-zine, something I'm very proud of. Let's say we look at some questions that have already gathered in the cauldron. Robert Hunter asks, When did Lovecraft's writings start gaining popularity? Well, uh, I'd say right out of the box, uh, as soon as they hit any kind of uh, mass market, if you can call it that, namely Weird Tales, uh, there seemed to have been an instant uh, wave of appreciation for HPL, and uh, people loved his stories and commented on them, and uh, though uh, Farnsworth Wright was pretty picky about what he accepted, infuriating HPL, sometimes uh, there were a lot of Lovecraft stories in there with a lot of fans that enjoyed him. It's rather uh, sad that uh, Lovecraft felt he was stooping to publish in a mere pulp magazine. He uh, called the Weird Tales (laughs) readers yaps and nitwits. (laughs) I guess he sort of, you know, uh, he didn't really like Seabury Quinn's uh, Jules de Grandin stories and some of the other stuff that appeared in there. And I guess it was a case of... uh, Uh, What is it, the Freud uh, crack? I wouldn't want to be in any club that would have somebody like me as a member. I guess Lovecraft felt that way. Uh, But there was a lot of popularity for him. And it might have died when he did, uh, except for good old August Derleth. Even the people that can't stand his writing, and and I am not among them, I get a big kick out of it. I see their point, but I still enjoy it. Uh, they will all unanimously say, oh, yeah, we, we owe Augusterleth a great debt because he and Donald Wandry, um, 
decided that somebody's got to do something to keep Lovecraft's work available as a hardcover book. And uh, nobody already in the business seemed to want to, so they started one of the first small presses uh, known to all far and near as Arkham House. And uh, they published these two mammoth collections, The Outsider and Others, and Beyond the Wall of Sleep. And then they chopped these up in later years to offer them as the Dunwich Horror and Others at the Mountains of Madness and so on, uh, Dagon and the revisions as the horror in the museum, etc. Well, uh, that uh, certainly made its mark. Uh, I don't happen to have the statistics to know how widely or how well they sold, but well enough to get Arkham House off the ground as an ongoing concern. And as you probably know, you should know, they published many other weird tales and other classical supernaturalist writers and have a great uh, reputation that continues to this day, though I believe they're kind of like Cthulhu uh, in a deep slumber at the moment. I hope they will start uh, uh, churning them out again. But uh, the I'd say what helped them gain uh, yet a wider audience was the paperback publication starting in the, the mid-60s when Lancer Books put out those two great collections. What they did was to chop the Arkham House... Um, Dunwich Horror, it, in turn, a kind of a revised version of the, uh, what is it, World Publishing, I think it was, uh, hardcover, Best Supernatural Stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Well, it was at, augmented a bit and published by Arkham House, and then split up into two Lancer paperbacks, The Color Out of Space and The Dunwich Horror, and that's where I met Lovecraft and uh, became instantly hooked. I guess I was about 12 or 13, as uh, many, many, many Lovecraft fanatics are. Uh, though, I uh, let me just say, I have uh, found with uh, Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so many of the other writers I loved as an adolescent, I've approached them in succeeding decades, hoping I would not be disappointed, and indeed I was not. I've always come away even more impressed than ever, uh, able to understand and appreciate more about these great writers than I could when I first enjoyed them. Uh, so, uh, all right, uh, so uh, then uh, Ballantine Books got on the bandwagon. Beagle Books put out some, and I, I think Beagle was originally distinct from Ballantine, but was soon bought up by them. And uh, so there were several um, collections that, uh, with a little bit of uh, overlap between them, that covered the uh, vast amount of Lovecraft that wasn't in uh, the two uh Lancer books, Color Out of Space and Dunwich Horror. These had great garish covers, and a lot of people were attracted that way and still treasure those editions. And so uh, this led in, uh, I guess this is about the early 70s that these books came out from Ballantine. And uh, this, uh, I think, it was the catalyst for a big boom in Lovecraft fandom uh, about 1974 and so on for a few years there where Nick Delops and Eldritch Tales uh, were published uh, Weird Book and other uh, terrific uh, small press magazines and the like Uh, that continued percolating on through the 80s 
And uh, somewhere in the early 90s, the Call of Cthulhu game and briefly Dungeons and Dragons with a Cthulhu module, these uh, games brought in a huge number of new Lovecraft fans who hadn't read Lovecraft stories or those of the other Mythos writers. Uh, and uh, they just were interested in the lore. I mean, th this was like um, the kind of stuff Lynn Carter and Brian Lumley wrote where the systematic data of mythos theology was practically the star of the show and the narrative was almost a vehicle for that. Uh, and rather than what Lovecraft had done, as David Schultz correctly pointed out, using the mythology as a sort of vague backdrop, which is probably a bit more uh, spooky and effective. But that's kind of the—but I know that, uh, that allure. As a theologian myself, I love all this kind of stuff, trying to catalog and interrelate and systematize the lore of a myth or of a religion. So that always attracted me just as much as the terrific prose. And so I understand that here were Lovecraftians that were simply interested in the mythos, didn't even really care about the, uh, the texts, but many of them were uh, curious about where Azathoth and Atlach Natcha and all this stuff came from. And so uh, with uh, uh, Keith Herber, I think he was the instigator of this at Chaosium, they uh, approached me to do a series of um, collections of mythos stories, like who was Hastur, let's have all the stories about him and the, the stories that led to his creation as a mythos entity. Uh, the Cthulhu cycle, you know, where'd this come from and, and what other stories feature him and so forth. And uh, we did uh, one for most of the old ones, still a few to go, uh, some of the uh, locations, uh, the, the Dunwich cycle, uh, the Innsmouth cycle, that kind of thing, and uh, collections of mythos work by certain writers, Lynn Carter, Robert Block, um, Henry Kuttner, and so on and so on. Uh, and I had enormous fun doing it, and apparently that helped initiate a lot of gamers into the texts. And uh, so the, the thing kept on snowballing until today. There is apparently a huger fan base than ever reflected in the, uh, the huge attendance at events like the recent Necronomicon uh, in Providence and the terrific Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland and now another one in Los Angeles. The uh, Mythos Con, masterminded by the late great Adam Nicewander, and uh, a host of small presses and uh, anthologies and online zines and the like, uh, jewelry, clothing, toys, uh, you name it, it's a Lovecraft world out there. Uh, and uh, so uh, the popularity continues to grow. Will it forever? Well, nothing lasts forever, but I don't see it... Uh, declining anytime soon, especially since new generations, that is like the children of Lovecraft nuts, uh, become just as nutty. Exhibit A, well, my daughter uh, Victoria would be a good example, but I guess you can't beat Maddie Michaud uh, as a great example of this. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the very gifted daughter of Mark and Marie Michaud, the late Marie Michaud, and uh, they... Uh, they uh, trained her up right, and she's uh, helming Necronomicon Press. Well, that's, I think, 
just an example of the kind of thing that, that happens. So uh, onward and upward with HPL, but as I understand it, that's kind of a brief rundown of Lovecraft's popularity and how it's grown. And of course, you can also mark that by the number of writers that continue to write in his tradition. A lot of it used to be just slavish, would-be imitation, kind of fun, not necessarily that great, though a lot of it was. Uh, but now you've moved on to other writers with a very different, distinctive narrative voice, but with a genuine sense of what made Lovecraft so effective. People like uh, Laird Barron, Joe Pulver, Corey Goodfellow and uh, Caitlin Kiernan and a number of others. It's a great time to be a Lovecraftian. Though I guess there was never a bad time if you just had HPL to read. Yeah, well, okay. Um, uh, Zoe Butler, who is also a pretty frequent uh, contributor of questions to my one of my other podcasts, The Bible Geek. And, of course, guess where we got the idea for the Lovecraft geek, right? Zoe says, uh, my first question is, do you think there's any validity to the claim made famous in Shea and Wilson's Illuminatus trilogy that the great old ones are somehow derived from the secret lore of Illuminati cultists? Uh, no, I, I, in fact, I really wonder if they believe that themselves. I think that uh, their, their work, um, which uh, is based on the conspiracy theory business of the Illuminati, is uh, taking off from that launching pad and seeing how wide and weird a, a conspiracy framework they could uh, spin out. Uh, simply as an admitted work of the imagination. The uh, actual Illuminati were a, a kind of enlightenment, rationalist political group in Austria in the 1700s, founded by a guy, a radical uh, named Adam Weishaupt, and they were suppressed and persecuted by the monarchists of the time. But... Uh, and the word Illuminati, you know, the illuminated ones, the enlightened ones, that is often used as an occult term, but also in Buddhism and Hinduism and so on. Uh, that, that has led people to borrow this for all kinds of occult fantasies, but uh, I don't believe there ever was any uh, occult order of the Illuminati. These guys were just rationalist uh, political radicals, and uh, their uh, Illuminati is, uh, is long gone. This myth has been... Uh, perpetuated in our day as an urban legend, uh, partly, maybe largely, by certain fundamentalist Christian wackos. By that I do not mean to paint all fundamentalist Christians as wackos. I'm just saying a lunatic fringe of their movement, which most of them would repudiate, rightly. Um, people that uh, claim, and I can think of about three different uh, uh, pretty famous lecturers and authors uh, who claimed to have been Satanist priests connected with the world-spanning underground of the Illuminati, and, and all of these guys were exposed as just hucksters and hoaxers. And uh, I, I think that, sadly, has given rise to this, uh, this urban legend of, uh, of the Illuminati. Um, it's not that there aren't any occult orders, uh, though uh, generally they seem not to be true believers in the occult. One almost wishes there were such things, but then again, you'd probably have a lot more uh, killings if they were like they are in the movies, so I guess I'm glad it is sort of just trumped up. 
Yeah, so I don't think there's anything to that. Um, Shane says, "What do you think of the? F what do you think the filmmakers may have missed in the documentary Lovecraft: Fear of the Unknown?" Well, I gotta say, I have no criticisms of this ultra nifty uh, documentary, and that's not just because I'm in it. Uh, there's all sorts of good folks in it, like Ramsey Campbell and. Uh, Guillermo del Toro and uh, Caitlin Kiernan and S.T. Joshi and all sorts of great people. It's a great wide selection of people expressing informed opinions about HPL. But let me answer it this way. Uh, if these guys were to make a sequel, which I'd like to, s to see, there are uh, things I would love to see them cover. So I'm not saying they should have covered these things in fear of the unknown, but I'd love to see them take on yet another one because there's plenty more to discuss. For one thing, I would uh, love to have them interview Brian Lumley, um, and uh, Cody Goodfellow and, uh, oh, just any number of other, uh, Laird Barron, Joe Pulver, so many of these other people that are writing really effective stuff. Um, for Yogg's sake, Colin Wilson, uh, the, he's done so many fascinating things in his own direction in the Lovecraftian vein. I don't want to say anything, but the, these guys are not going to live forever. Uh, and uh, I, I wish somebody would uh, document what they know. I mean, too late for Frank Long, right? Too late for Robert Block. It'd be great to have these guys on a documentary, but that's it for that. No more Wandry, no more Fritz Leiber. I was unbelievably lucky to have any contact at all with these people. Uh, and that was just by the skin of my teeth, right? Well, uh, they're gone now. So the people that still are around, I uh, sure with Gary Myers. Of course, he's, he's going to last forever, luckily. But uh, I just would love to see these people, Richard Tierney, uh, for Pete's sake, uh, I'd love to see them share whatever they have to say about Lovecraft and the mythos and all that. Dirk Mosig, if he would do it, this guy, before S.T. Joshi, was the authority on Lovecraft. He still is an amazing authority, and what an incredible guy. Black belt in karate, memorized the whole Quran, uh, a Zen master, a psychology professor. Oh, boy, would I love to see an interview with him. Um, Scott Connors ought to be in it. And uh, then as to subject, I'd like to see a bit more on the Lovecraft Circle, Weird Tales writers, including Block and Smith and Howard. And, and uh, yeah, of course, focusing on their connection with Lovecraft and their emulation of his work and theirs. Sure, but, uh, you know, anything you, you can say about these people would be great. Um, I... Uh, Guess it might be interesting, though I, the further out you go, the less and less of an audience you're going to have. But there's an awful lot known about Lovecraft's uh, life. You know, of course, S.T. Joshi wrote this masterful, monumental biography uh, of him. And uh, the first edition, H.P. Lovecraft, A Life, the second with even more hundreds of pages called I Am Providence. Uh, my pal uh, Daryl Schweitzer did a review of the first edition and it starts out with a line, I don't know this much about my own life. Uh, well, you could interview ST all day, and, and some people have, but you know, I'd like to see more of him on, the, uh, on another documentary. 
Um, it'd be great to have Will Murray and others talk about adaptations of Lovecraft in the comics and the movies and so forth. Uh, there's just so much of it. I'd love to see uh, people talk about this with the appropriate visuals and so on. So I, I don't regret that this stuff wasn't covered in H.P. Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown, but I would just really love to see a sequel that would deal with these things. But they, they did a wonderful job on that. I'll tell you another thing I'd like to see. I've been interviewed for at least a couple of similar-sounding documentaries that, as far as I know, never came out some years ago, one of them, 1990, at the Lovecraft Centennial. I don't think any—they had a lot of footage with a lot of good people, but uh, I don't know that anything ever came of that. I'd love to see that come out, too. Hmm, Kevin, or as they would say in the movie Time Bandits, Kevin. Uh, so he says, um, not a question so much, but it might be fun or interesting to do a piece on the sudden appearance of the Azathoth Monument in Oklahoma. I just barely know about that, Kevin, um, but uh, it uh, I love this kind of thing. There's a long tradition of uh, gentle Lovecraftian hoaxes, like people sneaking entries for the Necronomicon into library card catalogs and into rare book catalogs. And why do we do these things? Well, of course, it's to sort of uh, reinforce the fantasy that maybe we're living in the narrative world of Lovecraft. Maybe it's real. Of course, you sort of have to be uh, a little bit off your rocker to actually think that. But of course, you know, look at me. I'm doing these Cthulhu prayer breakfasts and wearing an Innsmouth mitre and all this kind of nonsense, right? Uh, it's, it's fun to pretend. And that's what this is. It's sort of bringing the pretense a little farther into reality. And, and it's a jerk, the joke, a joke that hurts uh, nobody. So, uh, more power, more occult power to you. Let's hope there are Azathoth monuments springing up all over this land. Hallelujah. Hmm. Oh, uh, if you see the guys in the white coats with the butterfly nets, uh, don't tell them where to find me. Uh, Fred Lubnow saith, I can think of a lot of questions, but three off the bat would be, how old were you when you started reading Lovecraft? Well, I already said, uh, I guess I jumped the gun, that I think I was 12. I might have been 13. I'd have to look. I have a record of what I used to read book by book. I'm guessing it was 1966, uh, so uh, I would have been 12 if that's the case when I started reading The Blessed Lovecraft, along with Lynn Carter, Tolkien, Doc Savage, Robert E. Howard, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, Otis Adelbert Klein, all these great, great things. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, second, what's your favorite Lovecraft story? Uh, that would be uh, The Dunwich Horror. I love all the major ones, right? Uh, and uh, they like the Haunter of the Dark, Whisperer in Darkness, Head of the Mountains of Madness, Shadow Out of Time, Shadow Over Innsmouth, Thing of the Doorstep, Color Out of Space, and so on and so on. I like the, the lesser ones, Dagon, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, uh, In the Vault, you know, all of them. Uh, there's very few I can... Eh, kind of take or leave like the moon bog not a big favorite of mine but it's fun to read i'm glad i've got all of them that we've got right um but uh, out of all my favorite is the dunwich horror i love the the mythos elements 
and the way they are used to enhance the story. I love the characterizations of the uh, backwoods characters as well as the scholarly Henry Armitage and so on. Uh, the, uh, the kind of hushed, breathless uh, atmosphere of the whole thing. To me, it's got everything you love in Lovecraft and just mixed in a super way. I, I, it's got that great text from the Necronomicon. I love them all, but that's my favorite. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, what is your favorite Lovecraftian story not written by Lovecraft? Now, that is a toughie. I don't know why, right? I guess because there's so many different authors. I, uh, I have a big fondness for at least the first two-thirds of Augustor Leth's The Lurker at the Threshold. I think he kind of fumbles the ball in the third segment of the story. And that's why I presumed to write a new substitute third section, a story called The Round Tower, which you can avail yourself of if you can find a copy of my uh, collection, Blasphemies and Revelations. That's the way I thought it should have ended. Uh, pretty cheeky, I know. But I really like that one a lot. Um, I kind of like uh, The Return of Haster by uh, Derleth also. Um... Oh, boy, oh, boy, The Return of the Sorcerer by Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, almost anything in the block collection of the uh, uh, Mysteries of the Worm. I uh, love Campbell's early efforts in The Inhabitant of the Lake. Uh, I guess one of my favorites in that is The Plane of Sound. Uh, but boy, oh boy, uh, all that stuff is so darn great. I love The Mind Parasites by Colin Wilson, The Deep Ones by James Wade, uh, and and uh, on and on. Uh, the unbelievably mind-blowing uh, novel Radiant Dawn by Cody Goodfellow and its sequel Ravenous Dusk. Uh, oh boy, uh, Nightmare's Disciple by Joe Pulver, and on and on it goes. It's really tough for me to say, because as soon as I pick one out, I think, well, what about that one? But these are some of my, my favorites, and I'll stand by them. Uh, so um, I'll be interested to hear from people, by the way, and I'd love to read these on the air. Oh, the fetid air. Anyway, the... Uh, uh, your uh, favorite Lovecraft story and non-Lovecraft mythos story. Oh man, how about uh, how about Dig Me No Grave? Uh, oh boy, or, or uh, oh geez, the uh, uh, the Howard story. Uh, I'm blanking out on it where the guy goes to Streco Streco Evagar. I can't be right. Strego Kavar or something. The Think price, think. Uh, yeah, well, you don't need to tell me. I can just go look it up when I'm done. Um, the Blackstone, of course, that's it. Um, so, you know, please let me know what you think and why. That'd be great to share on, uh, on this podcast. Jess asks, will Lovecraft ever achieve his rightful place in the rank 
ranks of America's literary greats. Actually, Jess, I think that has already happened, or at least begun to happen. One Now, this is all relative, and it's, it's sort of like who won the Oscar. You really have to ask who cares. You know, a bunch of idiots uh, casting their votes. What does it mean? Does their recognition mean a darn? Uh, so it's... Uh, or if it's just a popularity contest, what does it mean? But uh, it does seem the fact that there's like a Library of America collection of Lovecraft, uh, Joyce Carol Oates, very respected by the mainstreams, put out a collection of Lovecraft. Penguin Books had uh, S.T. Joshi do an edition. Uh, this wouldn't happen if Lovecraft weren't being recognized as on the level with Poe. And I think, uh, I guess what we've not yet seen, as far as I know, is Lovecraft introduced uh, into uh, the the course, the English courses in high school and the like. Uh, I uh, don't really see anything that would uh, bar that if you're letting the kiddies read Poe, which is pretty horrific. I don't think Lovecraft would be any worse. I mean, it's not like there's sex and gore in it. Uh, uh, so I imagine that will happen, especially since Lovecraft has been kind of accepted by the scholarly establishment. I'm sure Edmund Wilson is turning in his grave at that uh, little uh, development. And and who uh, who uh, can we thank for this? Just as August Derleth was the man behind Arkham House and the perpetuation of Lovecraft in book form, certainly S.T. Joshi is the one to thank for this. Uh, his tireless... Uh, peerless scholarly work on Lovecraft, the corrected text, the biographical study, the study of the letters, uh, and uh, his uh, indefatigable publishing with many books from university presses. Uh, this guy has really put Lovecraft on the map among, uh, among academics and so on. Uh, so three cheers for S.T. Uh, even if he weren't a good pal of mine, I would still say the same. Um, hmm. A uh, simple one, I think, from Mike. He says, what anthology contains the shambler from the stars, the haunter of the dark, and the shadow from the steeple? Well, I believe all three of them appear only in uh, the Arkham House uh, Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos and, of course, various paperback divisions. I think Panther had uh, had split that into two volumes and I don't know which one would have these but of course it's a linked sequence Robert Block uh, young pal and correspondent of Lovecraft wrote for permission to uh, have Lovecraft horribly destroyed in a Lovecraftian story and Lovecraft of course was greatly honored and amused by this <laughs> and wrote up a death warrant for him giving Block permission to do this and it was sound signed by uh, Friedrich Wilhelm von Junst, uh, Abdul Al-Hazred, the Chocho Lama of Leng, etc. So they all really, the Illuminati era, uh, were happy to have Lovecraft done in, and he does get killed by a Lovecraftian entity. But he struck back and used Robert Bloch as the doomed protagonist of his classic story, The Haunter of the Dark, where Block becomes Robert Blake and begins to delve into secrets he shouldn't and comes to a nasty end. But not one to uh, give somebody else the last word. Uh, the great Robert Block, years later, wrote a sequel to that, The, sh the, uh, the Shadow from the Steeple. 
uh, and uh, where Fritz Leiber is the one that gets it. Uh, I imagine there have been other sequels since then. I'm pretty sure I have read some. They may be just fanzine fodder, not that I'm uh, condemning that nifty stuff. I once edited a series of books called The Fan Mythos, after all. But uh, all three of them do appear in Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, blocks to appear in both versions of the uh, the all block collection mysteries of the worm both the 1980 I think um, paperback from zebra and my expanded edition uh, which has since been expanded once or twice more from chaosium but all of them with the title mysteries of the worm great stuff hmm uh, let's see this uh, is from John Felix, who is uh, one of the producers of this podcast, as well as the, uh, the Human Bible and the Bible Geek podcasts. Uh, he uh, offers something from Wikipedia. It says, The Cult of Alien Gods, H.P. Lovecraft and Extraterrestrial Pop Culture, is a 2005 book by Jason Colavito, that's C-O-L, a-V-I-T-O, a contributor to Skeptic Magazine and published by Prometheus Books. The central thesis of the book is that the ancient astronaut theory popularized by Erich von Däniken in Chariots of the Gods was directly influenced by the Cthulhu Mythos series of science fiction horror stories by H.P. Lovecraft, uh, end of Wikipedia entry. John says, do you agree with this thesis or do von Däniken, etc., owe their inspiration to other literary or fictional or primarily non-fictional sources and not at all to Lovecraft? Well, uh, I uh, argued in an article back in, I think, 81, co-authored with uh, Charles Garofalo, with whom I still uh, collaborate on fiction now and again, that um, in, in an article in Crypto Cthulhu number 2 called uh, Chariots of the Old Ones, that the two ideas are amazingly parallel and, of course, Lovecraft was on the scene spouting this stuff long before Von Daniken came along. And Lovecraft, of course, was doing it just as fiction, whereas Von Daniken uh, actually believed it. He held it as a serious theory. I had the pleasure of meeting Von Daniken once at Montclair State and talking to him briefly. Uh, and uh, uh, let's see. I wouldn't be surprised if Von Daniken got the idea from Lovecraft, but I don't know that there's any real evidence for that. Uh, it seems to me it's not that hard to think of this, and uh, because you could just as easily say it's suggested by Star Trek, too, and I'm sure there are other instances of this in science fiction novels, though I don't know that Von Daniken likely read any of those. He might have, but it's just not that tough to come up with the idea. I always like to say, though, in regard to his theory that uh, I don't believe that it's true. I don't know that it's not true, but I will say in its defense, it's not as, it's not as crackpot as some crackpots make it. Um, like uh, the, uh, what are they, the uh, Raelians. 
I, do you do you have to remember some years ago when uh, a couple of Raelian members they believe in UFOs? They're not theists; they just believe uh, in space aliens and that they engineered human life on Earth. A couple of these people had a press conference announcing that they had cloned a human being. Well, of course, it turned out to be a hoax. Not that that was any big surprise. But uh, this, to me, was a genuine event in epistemology. Like, how do you know the truth? Uh, because these people standing there, you could tell from their hair that they were crazy. Right? It was so weird looking, as if they'd been uh, electrocuted uh, in a hair dye factory or something. You could tell nobody that looks like this on purpose has all their marbles, right? It's it's just impossible to take seriously anything they say. So, you know, if we didn't have any other reason to doubt it, uh, you know, that, that would be a pretty uh, secure epistemological guarantee. Uh, but the idea itself is by no means um, stupid. It, it doesn't explain the origin of religion or the origin of intelligent life, even if it's true. Right, you would still have to ask uh, if the, especially if you think the uh, aliens intentionally planted religion, well, where'd they come up with it? And if they're humanoid life, how'd they get here? So, you know, you just push the questions back a step. Uh, but uh, is it impossible or absurd to imagine alien visitors to the earth uh, and that they left some imprint? No, it's just a question of do you think there's sufficient evidence for it? Uh, it, it's not uh, it's not a silly idea, uh, even though some silly folks do uh, present it in a silly way. Hmm. Ask Don Burleson, one of the world's leading experts on both H.P. Lovecraft, literary theory, and UFOs in Roswell, an amazing man. Uh, one of the real pioneers of Lovecraft scholarship and a terrific weird fiction writer, too. Uh, you might wonder... Price, are you just using this as a platform to plug your buddies? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, there are writers whose work I don't much care for, but I'm not going to launch into tirades against anybody. So if I, I'm not going to say anything if I don't have anything nice to say. Of course, don't go thinking that anybody I've not praised on this podcast today I don't like. Maybe I just haven't gotten to them yet. Uh, but I only praise uh, people in their work when I'm convinced there's a reason. I don't enjoy making a fool of myself by praising something that's obviously worthless. Yeah, okay. Um, um, this is an interesting one. Michael says, I, wonder, I was wondering if you would expand on your teenage fundamentalist years and how you discovered Lovecraft and how you reconciled the Cthulhu mythos with your Christian beliefs. Well, I didn't have much trouble. Now, I had uh, become a zealous fundamentalist, and I guess I got to admit, uh, with a lot that goes with that, uh, when I was oh, about uh, 10 to 11 years old, uh, my uh, parents sent my brother and myself to uh, Brookdale Baptist Church in Bloomfield, New Jersey, a fundamentalist church, but a very bright and happy place with a lot of great youth programs, memories of which I still cherish. I wish more kids could have the 
wholesome, uh, unbelievably fun adolescence and uh, youth that I had with them. Uh, but I took the Bible literally. I was convinced, a la Hal Lindsey, that the world would end shortly. I uh, was I would go out witnessing both to personal contacts in school, making a real uh, spectacle of myself, in uh, going around witnessing to people in shopping malls and uh, parks and all that because I thought I had to. I... Uh, cringe at that now, though on the other hand, it did uh, give me the ability to go ahead and do what I figured I had to do, even if I was reluctant. It gave me some guts. I still admire Jehovah's Witnesses for the, the guts they have, the courage of their convictions. Um, uh, well, I uh, was very careful as to what I allowed to influence me. Uh, and which I think is a real good idea, especially since uh, the influences on youth have become even more depraved now than they were then in the 60s. Uh, but uh, most of the time when I, well, it was just a couple of years later, uh, as I say, that I became interested in Lovecraft and also Conan and science fiction and so on. I didn't see any real conflict and uh, Eventually, I just kind of lost interest in that and comic books and so on because I just got so whole hog into uh, fundamentalism. And uh, uh, and uh, so I didn't exactly reject it. I just kind of left it behind. Uh, and then once I uh, ditched fundamentalism, oh, uh, let's say about a dozen years later, I uh, got back into all the stuff that had once delighted me, though I was into religious scholarship by now. And uh, But even in that time, looking back on it, I think I still understood that uh, this was not any compromise of my faith or my uh, Christian moral stance. It was all just a matter of stimulating the imagination, and uh, I didn't see any problem with it. I mean, I'm not going to read Thor and become a worshiper of the Norse gods. I'm not going to read Lovecraft and start believing in Yogg-Sothoth, right? So I've, I still don't think fundamentalists need to have any kind of guilty conscience. The whole idea is suspension of disbelief. Uh, if you, Lovecraft said that uh, it is the the uh, naturalist, the rationalist, the materialist who can be most effectively scared and scary as a horror writer because he doesn't believe in the supernatural and were it to occur it would shock the heck out of him because there's no place in his worldview for it. Whereas a religious person reading or writing it, it's a little tamer because even if the exorcist happened, it would be ultimately comforting because you'd say, well, gee, that proves I'm either this devil or must be a god, so I'm on the right track. Well, uh, in, a, in a similar way, I think uh, people that say, well, you know, I believe in God and Jesus Christ and uh, so forth. If you're reading The Call of Cthulhu, where uh, the great shadow of uh, nihilism covers the world and uh, human life as a pointless joke of the universe and all that, it's appropriately dismaying and frightening as long as you have suspended disbelief for the sake of the story. Uh, and uh, then once you're done and the lights come up and the curtain closes, you can uh, heave a sigh of relief. I remember when I watched The Omen in the last years of my fundamentalism, when it was in the theater, I thought, oh man, thank God, I as a Christian am protected from that stuff. 
Well, I liked that as a horror movie. And then when it was over, I said, well, it is just a movie and it was a good one and a scary one because if it were true, I would be in big trouble, but thank God it's not. Uh, okay, that's the, uh, I think Christians shouldn't have any problem. Uh, they should view it that way. This is not what I believe to be real. I'm just sort of pretending. What the heck? Uh, and I, I didn't articulate it that way, but as I look back, I think that's, kind of the way I felt. I did an article some years ago called Christians and Weird Fiction where I spell this out and I think in, in germ I had that understanding all along. Um, uh, let's see, I guess that's it for today's podcast. It'll probably be longer when I get yet more questions in the cauldron, so I hope you will avail yourselves of the opportunity. And I hope you'll check out the Lovecraft e-zine where occasionally they uh, are napping and allow some writings of mine to, uh, to get in there. Actually, every month I have a column called Echoes from Cthulhu's Crypt. But I hope to see you here soon in, uh, the, uh, in the terrifying zone of the Lovecraft Geek. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.